Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. Today's show is a replay of last week's Trek Talks event with State Representative Giovanni Caprillione, a Republican who represents House District 98, which includes parts of Grapevine, Colleyville, South Lake, Keller, West Lake, North Fort Worth, and Hazlitt. Caprillione was elected to the Texas House of Representatives in 2012 and now chairs its House Committee on Appropriations and is a member of several other House committees and caucuses. He joined us last week to talk about his priorities for next year's 87th Texas State Legislature and answer questions from our members. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media to get the latest news and updates from around the Real Estate Council. I'd also like to recognize our event sponsor, Bell Nunnally, for their support of Track Talks. Now, here's our Track Talks event with State Rep Giovanni Caprillione right here on TrackCast. I just want to give a, a few um, uh, bits of information for context. We have been very excited that we have over 150 members who are very actively engaged in our public policy initiatives. And those individuals not only fuel a lot of the policy work we do, but they also uh, form working groups to, uh, to do in-depth study of issues that are surfacing that uh, impact our economy uh, in North Texas, as well as the commercial real estate business. Uh, we also, um, our political action committee has been very actively engaged in supporting um, supporting representatives and senators as well as local officials in issues that uh, we are aligned in interest. And so uh, through that effort, we are, we're very pleased to support the representative um, in his new role, at, or not new, second time we've supported representative so we appreciate his support and relationship and lastly I'll mention that we are part of a statewide coalition of other organizations similar to ours the real estate councils of Texas and so we will be visiting Austin in February uh, and hopefully we'll be able to visit you in your office uh, while we come to Austin and talk about the issues that are important to the economy for Texas and for North Texas so we're excited about that. And so without further ado, my name is Linda McMahon. I'm president of the Real Estate Council, but I wanna introduce Heath Cheek, who is a partner with Bell Nunley and Martin. And Heath has been really actively engaged with our organization. And we thank Bell Nunley for their support of Trek Talks, which this is another uh, version of that. So uh, Heath, I'll let you introduce the representative and then we will have a Q&A following. If you'd like to put questions in the chat, you can certainly do that uh, after the representative makes his remarks, um, and then uh, we'll conduct uh, the Q&A from that. So thanks again, and Heath, thank you so much for your support and all the work you do for the Real Estate Council. Thank you, Linda. And Bill Nunley and my partners, myself, we're very uh, uh, happy to support this Trek Talk series. Uh, so we all have a chance, along with you all, to hear from different decision makers who are going to make a difference on our state and local government. And now that we're past the election, we now know what our government's going to be. And uh, we also know that there are a lot of major issues that are going to be facing the state and the Texas legislature uh, here in the next, next few months. Um, some of which related to COVID, some of them related to redistricting, and some of them just related to just normal business. And so for that reason, we're very excited to be able to uh, have our guest speaker here today, Representative Gio Caprione. 
Capriglione. Um, he is a fourth term state representative representing District 98. Uh, that district covers Grapevine, Colleyville, South Lake, Keller, West Lake, North Fort Worth, and Hazlitt. Um, he's currently the chairman of the House Committee on Appropriations. He's a member of the Select Committee on Mass Violence Prevention and Community Safety. He's the co-chair of the Texas Privacy uh, Protection Advisory Council. He's been married to his wife, Elisa, for 19 years. They have three children in Carroll ISD schools. Uh, he got his BS in physics and MBA in finance from Santa Clara University. And after school, he went to work for a DFW-based venture capital and private equity firm. Uh, today, he's the owner and president of his own small business, Texas Adventure Capital, which provides business services to various investment fund managers and business owners. His focus is investing in Texas-based small businesses. And so with that, I will turn it over to him. We're very excited to have him and join me in welcoming, join me in welcoming Chairman Capriglione. Awesome, thanks so much. Awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. If it's okay with you, what I thought I'd do is maybe uh, just give you kind of maybe a 15 minute uh, rundown of where things are and kind of, kind of tell you that, you know, one of the cool things about politics is it's kind of like the weather, right? It's constantly changing and uh, we're in the middle of all of that. But like you said, um, we did just have the elections, um, and for the most part, um, at least in Texas, things are going to stay relatively the same, right? Uh, we went through the. There's a lot of discussion, of course, because it is a redistricting cycle. You know how it was all going to play out, but um, for myself, I'm just super honored and thankful uh, to to be able to be working on the budget, uh, which uh, was a lot more exciting in January, February, and it just got. A little bit more difficult, obviously, during time. Um, obviously, the number one thing that's going on that's on everyone's mind is COVID and how, uh, you know, the pandemic, how we're able to, first and foremost, take care of our family, our friends, and ourselves during this uh, extremely difficult time. And of course, um, it, it has, and I'll t talk to you about it, how it has impacted, obviously, the state's finances and, and local government's finances all, all over the world, really. Um, and then um, just talk about maybe what we're going to be doing heading into session. But our priorities for most of us, of course, is to make sure that we deal with uh, this pandemic. One of the things that happened in March almost immediately, and for all of you that know, is I started shopping less, started going out less, started doing less tourism, less, uh, less of everything, high unemployment and so on. And what that's meant for the state budget is as of right now, a pretty big uh, deficit, at least by Texas standards. Um, so one of the things that uh, happened almost immediately is unemployment went higher. And I kind of start out with this, this stat to give you an idea of the magnitude. Um, from September of last year to March, uh, which was the first six months of our this fiscal year, we, the state, had paid about $23 million in unemployment insurance claims. We had record unemployment. Our sales numbers were well ahead of projections. So we have paid about 23 million. As of today, um, including federal dollars and state dollars, we paid out about $50 billion in unemployment claims here in the state of Texas. The state's portion is about $5 billion. And what that's meant is obviously our unemployment insurance fund uh, wasn't able to do that. So we've been borrowing money from the feds to be able to pay even our federal insurance claims. At the same time, uh, the federal government, uh, you know, sent out a bunch of money through the CARES Act, uh, through different federal appropriations bills. 
But the bulk of it was in about $11 billion. So you'll see, and it's been in the news recently, what we've been doing and what we have left of the $11 billion. But a lot of what, where that money went was to care, take care of things that, um, that we all had to deal with. So a lot of it was testing, getting testing available for individuals, um, getting National Guard out there to go and run some of those tests for us. Um, currently, there's a lot of places in Texas that are facing issues. And so we're, we're paying for surge uh, in those hot spots. So we're helping to pay for nurses and doctors and other medical professionals to be able to mitigate that. That's, a, that's become an incredible expense. Uh, if you're like me, you have kids uh, who maybe didn't like the online program. A lot of people didn't like the online schooling program from March to June. So one of the things that we did is we put money into improving that. Uh, we both reimburse schools for that and we've also created our own state version of online programming to better uh, provide those kind of support. We also learned, of course, that there's people who don't have internet access either because they can't afford it or it's just not available. So we've put um, close to half a billion dollars to go and get those hardware devices and internet support out for, for students all over the state of Texas. And a little bit closer, to what it means to individuals, obviously with higher unemployment, people were not able to, still are not able to pay for uh, everything from their mortgage to their their rent, their rent. And at one point, just about a month and a half ago, we hit a point where there were about a million people in Texas that were close to being evicted from their apartments. So we created a rental assistance program to go and provide support for individuals so that they can navigate that, and also eviction mitigation so that we could get into uh, a win-win deal effectively to be able to get the landlords and the tenants in a better place during all of this. So it's just been an incredible experience, obviously, having money come in and having money come out. One of the things that we've had to do, unfortunately, is the state has had to tighten its belt as well. So the speaker, the governor, and the lieutenant governor um, came out with their charges, which showed both a 5% interim cut for this cycle. So just to be clear, there's like the budget we're working on now, but in Texas we do a two-year budget, so then there will be the, the next budget cycle, which starts next September. So in the interim, we set a 5% cut, and then for the next two years, we've asked every agency to give us a plan uh, that included a, effectively a 5% cut as well. Now, um, what we saw was, uh, you know, unemployment still uh, stayed stubbornly high, we're averaging right now about a 5% reduction in our state revenue. Um, and that's, you know, there's different parts of that. So we've seen home improvement uh, projects obviously going really well. Um, a lot more people are buying online than, uh, than they used to. So we had passed the bill last session, not knowing this would happen, but uh, it was called a Wayfair tax to kind of equalize internet taxing. So we've seen that number go up. Uh, however, other things like hospitality, tourism, alcohol, beverage taxes, and so on are way down. Even before the pandemic, we have started to see oil and gas revenues already starting to, to slow. But obviously with less travel and so on, uh, we're at the point now where we've seen drilling permits or permits for new drilling down by about 60, almost 70%. Uh, all of this has obviously created some headwinds going into the next cycle. But because we did have these elections, uh, we learned really quickly, and hopefully the voters learned where the priorities of all the members are. 
And for us, that's public health first and foremost, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic, so we have to be able to make sure that people get health care uh, that they need, that they're able to get the testing that they need, uh, that they'll be able to, you know, be able to to get the help that they need, but also um, that there's hospitals that'll stay open, that they'll be able to get those procedures. And so that that's one of our priorities. Second one, of course, is public education. We've all learned, I think, how important the public education system is, especially as uh, people are trying to find work and trying to be able to to go and more importantly provide education to their children. And, and so last session we passed a bill, it's called House Bill 3, uh, that radically Im Im improved finances for schools, improved teacher pay raises, and teacher salaries. And so we have a commitment uh, to go and make sure that we keep HB3 funded. You know, just, uh, I get a chance every now and then to go, go through our schools and uh, one of my local school districts, I did a tour, um, that's, you know, in, in one of the schools that has both in-person and virtual. And they're doing an incredible job. I'll tell you, you go through, I mean, I guess I, I imagine kids throwing off their masks and doing all this stuff and running around, but actually kids are really well behaved. The schools have done a good job in social distancing, but it's put the teachers in a situation where they have to do a lot of work, right? They're having to both teach the in-person classes and then also manage the kids they don't even get to see. And so we're seeing, on average, teachers uh, spending 60 to 70 hours a week now during class, and I've seen as high as 85 hours per week. So it's really important for us, of course, to make sure that we, we continue to do that. And the third thing going into session is there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, and we're all going to support um, the public safety aspect of, of government, right? So supporting our local law enforcement, supporting our state law enforcement, so they're able to do and, and, and make sure that they have the resources they need to, to keep things safe for, for all of us. Um, you know, it's one of those budget cycles where it's like, okay, we have all the same issues we've always had, except now we're going to be short, right, in terms of how we're able to fund it all. Um, we, and one thing that I've worked on a while, just I have a technology background, but one thing I've seen and, and is evident more and more is that states, um, uh, technology, for lack of a better word, but that's their computer servers, their cloud servers, their hardware devices, all of these things that kind of sit in the background. Their, their legacy is, is the nice word for what they are. Some of these systems that we have have been running since 1968 is our longest running mainframe that we have. I think it's going to be important for us in order, as we see more people telecommuting, as we want our state employees to, to be safe, but also be able to provide those services so that we can get data uh, about what's going on in a faster, more real-time way, we'll have to go and make sure that we can uh, provide that support uh, for that as well. Now, going into to session, obviously, uh, on um, last yesterday, actually, we had what's called the Legislative Budget Board meeting where we set a spending limit going forward. Uh, we have a lot of different limits in Texas and we always choose the lowest of all the limits, but for the spending limit portion, we decided on effectively what is the, the, the smallest spending limit increase ever, uh, given all of the uncertainty in, in how things are gonna go moving forward. On the House side, we have a speaker who is retiring. Uh, we have effectively chosen our, our next speaker. I think it becomes more official this Saturday. 
uh, as we go to caucus, but Dade Phelan is going to be the Speaker of the House next session, and we're all getting to work. Um, he's already uh, working on setting a group to look at rules and also how business will be done. Um, you know, one of the things that's challenging, you know, we're all, uh, it's a room full of 150 politicians, so we usually start shaking everyone's hands and all that other kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of work being done on making sure that not only do we have plexiglass and we have all of that, but just as importantly for all of us, we want to be able to make sure that we can talk to our constituents, right? We want them to be able to come to the Capitol. And so we're doing things like changing the HVAC system, getting things in place with TDM, maybe testing and so on. So we can uh, continue to have uh, that transparency that we all hope to have in the next session. Um, I really don't know yet how many bills we're going to go through and how many are going to work through. On any given year, uh, there's usually about, I think, six or 7,000 bills that are filed and we'll pass maybe 1,200 of them. I think this session is going to be a lot harder to go and have a really full-throated conversation about all of those. Um, so we might see uh, something that focuses more on the most important items, which, which is fine, actually. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of positive things that have been going on as well related to our overall economy. I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't end this without at least saying... Um, you know, how, how blessed we are to be in Texas. I mean, if you go, and I, I look at it from the budget perspective, but we're really worried, of course, about having a $4 billion or so dollar budget deficit. California, they're dealing with a $66 billion budget deficit. Um, pro property values here in Texas have remain, retain, re retained their value. Um, and so that's been helpful for our budget as well. We're still seeing people wanting to come here. And one of the things that I think, you know, look for a silver lining is all of these other states, they're going to have to figure out how to do their revenue and they're more likely going to raise taxes and do all the stuff that happens in others. Um, so I think for the future, if we focus on our public ed system, if we focus on workforce training, making sure we get jobs and economic development and have that infrastructure in place, Texas will still be the number one place for people to, to look to move and move to relocate to. So we're going to get out of this. And uh, I think all of the members and all the state reps that I have the pleasure and honor of serving with are all absolutely focused on the most important things going into this next session. I'm, I'm happy to, to try and answer some questions or at least avoid a couple of them along the way if you want. Well, I'll, um, I'll kick off if, if you don't mind while uh, we, we have any other questions that may surface. Uh, I know typically committees, um, including appropriations, uh, typically host uh, a lot of robust interim hearings over the last year and a half, and obviously that has been seriously hampered by COVID. So what challenges, since you haven't had as much opportunity to really vet the issues, in advance, uh, do you see that that will present starting in January? Yeah, um, I will say I, 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 and I know my staff and the hack staff and the Senate finance side of it, we've been working um, a lot more uh, this intro than we normally do, right? Because of all the different uh, sources of funds. So the, the federal appropriations bills effectively came in in 71 different buckets of money, each one with their own rules. And, and some of those rules 
change almost every weekly as Treasury comes up with different things. And of course, we're waiting to see what the new administration and, and everyone else is going to be doing. Um, but what we did during session, because we were not able to meet uh, out of the abundance of caution, uh, we essentially created an RFI system where all of the interim charges that we had originally asked for uh, went out to the public and they had about a month and a half, almost two months to go and give us um, effectively what they would have said if they'd have come in person. That was made available, of course, to all the members, but also publicly available to all. So we've still able to receive the data. We've still been able to have that. Of course, people still call all the members of appropriations and, and um, in some ways, maybe it's better because they're at home talking to their constituents and getting direct uh, feedback from them. But I, I don't want to to minimize just it, it, it is it has been challenging. Um, but uh, we're, we're we I went to actually that's the first time I went for the LBB meeting it was the first time I actually I have been in the we've had a meeting in appropriations uh, conference room and there's plexiglass all on the sides. Now there's a uh, I can already see it's going to be a lot more difficult for staff to be there and so on. But we've gotten a, an incredible amount of information from stakeholders and from agencies and so. So I, I think we're ready. Any questions? Anybody want to ask any questions before I move on? So uh, we have some insight as to you know what we think is going to happen. Uh, we've planned a lobby day for February uh, for a couple of days. To, we usually start with a cocktail party <laughs> and, then, and then spend the next day visiting all of you in your offices. What do you think that's going to look like next year? Um, well, this is my guess as good as yours type of deal. You know, it changes every time I look at it. I, um, I would say, you know, I, I try and answer this thinking, okay, what if it was tomorrow, right? What if lobby day was tomorrow? it probably wouldn't happen that way right um but i i still you know for me i'm a big advocate i know a lot of other people are too is we still have to have that ability so maybe it's um you'll just you know maybe it'll be like okay you're gonna have to get a temperature check same things that happen in schools we found and i know abbott labs and others have been doing really good testing so that's a lot less invasive a lot more accurate a lot cheaper so maybe some like so before our meeting yesterday for instance right all of us, and this has happened to me, I've taken about, I, I think I've hit almost 18 tests so far since this is all. And so you just go and they have a little thing set up. So each one of us go into the meeting, we do a self swab, turn it in, you wait 15 minutes, you get a little I passed a gold sticker, you know, and we, we go in and it moves something like that, right? And, and that's good because that, that provides the comfort for people to go in and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think you'll still be able to come into the Capitol and do all that kind of stuff. You may not be able to get those cocktails at the bar though. <laughs> they may be that's, that's, part of the, that's part of the experience, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a serious question. Matt Brandel has uh, asked, to solve the budget deficit, do we anticipate dipping into the rainy day fund, cut expenses or raise revenues? What options do you see for raising revenues if that's not part of the solution? Um, so, I, in terms of, of dipping into the rainy day fund, we, we have about, and we will have about $10 billion in our rainy day fund, which historically is one of the highest amounts that we've had in our rainy day fund. We've, we hit more last session, and we've, we've always gone and used money from the rainy day fund. Since I've been a member of the House, we have. Uh, we've used it for the hurricane, we've used it for water, we've used it for transportation, uh, we've used it for 
for other critical things. And I think COVID is one of those things. So uh, I do see us using some of that rainy day fund money. And, I, and I'm not going to say we're going to write a check and drain the rainy day fund by any stretch of the imagination because we don't have to do that. And also, we don't know if, you know, God forbid, I mean, I'm, I'm really hopeful these vaccines will go and start helping everybody. But we, we are obviously going to leave enough in our rainy day fund to be able to handle something else. But when you go back to the 1980s, when this, this fund, it was, it's, it's really called the Economic Stabilization Fund for times when the economy goes and hits, it's a dive because of oil and gas or whatever. And I think this is one of those times when the economy through, through really no fault of anybody, uh, something has happened. So I, I do see us uh, using some of the rainy day fund money uh, at this point, but again, nowhere near all of it. We don't have to do that. Um, in terms of cutting, uh, we've, uh, like I said, the Lieutenant Governor, the Governor and the Speaker, they've come out with 5% interim cuts. They've asked agencies to cut 5% going forward. So we are going to um, ask, you know, uh, the state agencies to reduce their total expenses. And in terms of new revenue, um, you know, I, I, I'll say absolutely, we're not going to be raising taxes, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, and I think that's a benefit that we'll be able to, to promote while other states do, right? Where, so I don't see us raising taxes or fees or anything like that. Um, in terms of other revenue, you know, uh, the previous chairman, Zerwise, he, he had a little quip, which is, is like, listen, that's ways and means job, uh, appropriations job is to spend the money. So we'll <laughs> let the legislature decide what they do think that they want to try in terms of others. But I'll, I'll give you a quick example of, of so the rainy day fund. Um, so myself and Senator Nelson, we've worked on two different pieces of legislation. And so with the rainy day fund, uh, what I realized was that it was, we had kept it in a checking account that at the time was earning 0.1% interest. So I filed a bill and Senator Nelson and I, we've taken turns working on this one. But essentially what we did is we, we raised slightly how much we could. Uh, and so the interest income that we've generated just off of the rainy day fund has been almost an additional quarter of a billion dollars per year. So wow. there's, yeah, it was the building. <laughs> Right. So, but we, there's a lot of opportunities for us to be more efficient with our dollars and, and be able to get there. I like that pocket change that you have. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is, I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's something that's helped us, but, but it's also why a lot of us don't want to spend it. Right. Because, you know, you sit there and you're like, okay, you spend it during this hurricane. Well, spend some during Hurricane Harvey, but you never know when the next hurricane is going to come. We'll spend some during this pandemic. Uh, but we don't know how long it's going to last. So we're going we're to be careful with your money. I can say the work you did in the 86th legislature that really supported public education initiatives was epic for the state. And so we, mm -hmm. we appreciate that. And we, we, uh, I'm glad to hear that you want to continue supporting those efforts because I think it's so essential for the future of Texas. Are there other things that you think you might be championing beyond, beyond public education? Um, so, um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of conversation. I mean, if I was going to pick whatever the top five, I, I think obviously the budget is one. I think uh, conversation about public safety, right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people having, you know, just like there was during the elections, you know, having that conversation. I think redistricting is, while it may not happen during the actual regular session, yeah. 
it's, it doesn't mean a lot necessarily to individuals at home, but it means a lot <laughs> to the people that represent them. So I think that's going to, that's going to be a big part of it. And, um, and, uh, I, you know, again, I want to see our ability to do data management go up. I, I'm big into uh, privacy. I think there's got a lot to talk about. How do we go and we get hit kind of broadside by this pandemic. So what can we do to minimize the chance? How do we make Texas a better research place, a better place to be able to, the go-to place, if you will, to kind of handle, hopefully but not, but the next issue that arises. We know that we've been told by so many people, including the chamber and even the Fed president has said that there's just some, such an interest in moving to Texas, uh, particularly from uh, California um, and uh, New York and other places. And are you concerned about uh, people moving from those typically blue states and changing the policies that we've created, that has created the economic stability that and growth in Texas? and and, it, and what do you think we can do to protect the, the, the way that Texas does business versus the way other states do business? Sure. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, listen, I want everyone that doesn't like their state because it's not being like Texas to come to Texas, right? Absolutely. And we all want them. But, it, but there's, there's an onus on all of us to help educate our new neighbors about or remind about why they came here, right? Um, if you go and you look at Illinois, or, or, or Chicago, or there's a reason why, because they're nearly bankrupt, okay, because their fiscal policies didn't really work for them. But I mean, we can't just say, oh, we don't want you to come here because you might change your mind. It's on us, right, to go and say, hey, here's why we want to do this as opposed to something like that, because it didn't work somewhere else. And so that's, that's conversations with your neighbors, it's conversations with your family and friends, and say, sometimes, you know, I mean, we love saying we passed a fiscally conservative budget, but it's, it's not always politically the easiest thing to do. So we need that support as well as we go and say, you know what, I get it. They have 10 billion in their rainy day fund, but here's why they shouldn't spend all of it, right? Because you end up in a tough situation. So I want as many people to come here who espouse our values. So do we, more build, we need to build more buildings and add to economic growth in the region. Um, Chairman Phelan, is that correct, yep. Phelan? Phelan, yeah. Uh, he's got the speaker votes lined up, and you were a big supporter at the very beginning. Um, and he's also started filling positions in his transition team. What's your outlook for his speakership, and how will it shape the House, and how will it be different from what we've seen before? Sure. Um, so, yeah, so just in terms of he has absolutely the votes. He's going to be the speaker next time. In terms of the, the process, um, we have, we passed in our Republican caucus, we passed uh, some bylaws that say there's going to be a vote amongst the caucus. That vote happens this Saturday. Uh, so we'll go this Saturday. He's the only one running. So we'll all uh, support him there. Uh, and then he will officially have that. And I mean, I've had the opportunity to work with him. And that's why I was such a strong supporter. He, he understands the policies. He understands the issues extremely well. He was the state affairs chairman last session, so he got to see a lot of the big bills. Uh, when um, the hurricane issue came up, uh, he was a leader in terms of not only uh, supporting uh, individuals been hard hit by the hurricane, but also mitigation. Right, so we, you know, it's it's one thing to solve the problem; it's another one to go and have solutions for the future. And so he had a lot of experience in, in that emergency and. 
this is an emergency too. So I have full faith that he will be able to do that. And he's 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 worked in and around and with the capital for a long time. So he's definitely a, a seasoned veteran. Um, all of that being said, you know, there's 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 a lot to be done, and uh, it's going to be a steep learning curve for all of us uh, given the new dynamics. Changes are inevitable, of course. Exactly. Uh, Courtney Spellacy has asked the question, the last legislative session resulted in less local control over development in areas such as preservation and building codes. Do you think this was a mistake? If so, how can we prevent this from happening again, understandably during a time when central control will seem appropriate? Thoughts on that? Um, there's always been a, a, a battle over local control and state control, right? And um, at, at the end of the day, what happens, unfortunately, is some municipalities go above and beyond, right? And I think part of this conversation really uh, was in earnest over the property tax conversation, right? Uh, where there are some municipalities, uh, some really close to the Texas Capitol, right, that always increase in their property taxes, right? I mean, and you'd watch them. We had a deal where it's at 8%, um, you had to go in and whatever, you could be overruled, right? So they would always go 7.9999. I'm not joking. I still would see the things, right? So what, this, what we did uh, from the state said, okay, you know what? That's not fair to, to homeowners. It's not fair to property owners. And so we're going to do something and we're going to require, we're still allow revenues to go up for cities at two, two and a half, three and a half percent. But if you want to go higher than that, you can. You just have to convince, uh, you know, your local community to do that. To me, that was local control at the most local level possible. Um, so th that all being said, there's always going to be issues uh, that, that there's some conflict with that. Uh, but um, I can't, I don't know yet what those issues are going to be this next session, but I think the property tax deal, for instance, was a, was, was a benefit to the, the Texas uh, taxpayer. And so for me, that, that's who I represent and that's who we're going to represent. And we work an awful lot in affordable housing and trying to um, help with the policy around affordable housing with the city of Dallas, as well as working in lo local communities that desperately need housing. I know North Texas suffers from the lack of affordable housing, regardless of where you live, because um, you still need those essential workers that are providing services and just, um, you know, making, you know, minimum wage or, or uh, elsewhere. There is some interest in being able to do something around property taxes that might be able to keep people in their homes of lower incomes. Do you have any thoughts or have you had any perspective of that shared with you? Mm, no, the things that I've worked on, again, I tell you, rental assistance, eviction mitigation, obviously if, if, if you all have some ideas about how to lower property taxes some more, you're gonna find a very willing audience uh, as well. Uh, the only thing I've worked on homestead exemptions as well, trying to make sure that uh, I was trying to figure out how to make those even higher uh, to go and get the homestead exemption. I, the town I live in, their the cap is at 20%. And so we're trying to figure out a way to improve that, increase that from a 20% homestead exemption. Uh, but no, I, I don't know of anything in particular, but if you do, I'm definitely interested in, in hearing those ideas. 
there's someone who's very interested that's on this call. <laughs> okay. Well, more I'll, more I'll later, ask. more later on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, th and then my last question for you um, is uh, relating to um, what we can expect. Anything, any surprises you think we're going to pop up? Uh, but before before that answer, before that question, there is a move um, through several educational institutions. There's a Texas Urban Blueprint Policy Steering Committee that's been formed by the Kinder Institute, LBJ School, and the Bush Institute to really help drive policy towards benefiting urban Texas, which is 85% of our population. Um, I think you'll, you're going to hear a little bit more about this uh, come January when their work is complete. However, okay. you know, there has been this uh, push and pull in the state of Texas between urban populations and rural populations, and obviously the rural communities and leadership has been very dominant in the state legislature. Um, how do you feel, what, what can we do living in urban Texas, and again, driving the majority of the economic growth in the state, what can we be thinking about and doing to really make sure that urban Texas is being uh, addressed and, and not just worried about what happens uh, in the smaller communities throughout the state? And I'm, I'm talking about border communities too, which can qualify as urban. Sure. Well, here's the thing, I mean, um, it is the state of Texas. So we have to make sure that everyone is, is getting the same uh, resources and so on. I, so uh, the first time I learned this, I was a freshman. And for me at the time, Robin Hood recapture was, was a big issue, right? Um, which is, you know, when local property values are higher than, than an average. And then, so there's some redistribution. And so where I am, it happens that in an urban area, a lot of times you'll see money go get recaptured and sent to other school districts. So I was making this comment, I'm like, hey, I don't want to pay Robin Hood anymore. And someone from East Texas said, okay, fine, we don't want to give you water anymore. And someone from West Texas said, fine, you don't get any more oil either, right? <laughs> so the first thing to keep in mind is that we are a state and we just happen to be a state that's the size and, and the diversity of a country. Uh, but there are things that are unique for each one. So for rural, obviously hospitals are become a big concern, right? As we've seen, changes in the health insurance and so on. Uh, well, for you and I, I mean, I probably have seven hospitals on the main drag in front of my house, right? Uh, but they may have to drive 50 or 75 miles. On the other hand, there are issues that happen in urban areas that they don't necessarily have in rural. So, you know, um, we want to take all of those into account for sure. And, and the fact is, if all of Texas does well, it helps all of us, right? Because let's say a lower income area, and so people will say, okay, well, how do we stop Robin Hood? How do we stop paying for them? Get them wealthier, right? I mean, let's go and focus on poverty. Let's go and focus on getting jobs in those areas. Let's focus on getting workforce or training or education or whatever is needed in those areas. You know, a lot of these places don't have, like what we take for granted on roads and so on. They may not have that access to, to, to I mean, there's things called food deserts, right? Where there's no, no ability to even shop the supermarket. So if we can get, those there, um, whether it's because it's a low-income community or a rural community or some other disadvantaged or distressed community, that helps everyone in Texas. Well, and, and something that's near and dear to your heart is growing small businesses. Yeah. Oh, that's it. And you know what? They've taken the biggest hit. On all, I mean, obviously, individuals have with the pandemic. But I mean, look at restaurants, okay? Look at what is a typical entry level small business for almost anyone can start. Those have been almost absolutely clobbered in the middle of all this pandemic. 
and they make up the bulk of our revenues here in the state. They make up the bulk of the employment. So getting small businesses back on their feet is the fastest way to get individuals back as well. We agree. Uh, one we one thing I've learned in all of this is how interconnected everything is. But they can't do that <laughs> if they don't have daycare. And they can't have daycare if it's shut down because of something else, right? So we're going to work really hard to try and get everything, not a new normal, the, the old normal, right? Where people are comfortable and safe and healthy. So post-pandemic and also looking to the future of the 87th legislature, what, what do you forecast? What do you forecast post-pandemic? What do you forecast of any surprises for the next session? Uh, what, what haven't we asked you about that we need to be thinking about? Um, you know, I think, you know, um, I'll say, you know, during this election, I mean, here's the good news. Nothing really has changed. Okay. And so I would say all of this anxiety over elections and campaigning and all that stuff is gone and it will be gone for at least a while. Um, but there are things that people have brought up that are genuine concerns. We have to look at, um, election integrity, right? Trying to get people back to, um, to, um, to the election process. I think, people are worried about and how that all is. So we have to obviously restore faith and the way to restore faith is to go look at where things were not working. Um, I, to me, you know, it, it's, it is going to be different in the sense of we should look at real estate, at least the, the real estate that the state has and see if there's opportunities, find better life balances between employees and having to drive into Austin every single day and so on. And at the same time, does that productivity increase end up helping the state as well? Um, I, I, I don't know if there's going to be much really outside of COVID or COVID related in this next year. And that's okay because that's a big deal. We hopefully will see vaccinations, availability of vaccinations happening already at the beginning of the year, right? And if that starts happening, then it gets back to faith. And our economy is based entirely on faith. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chairman. We really appreciate your time, your insights. Yeah. I, I just thank want you, you to know um, the uh, importance of uh, having this relationship with you and others at the state level is very, very important. We have 2,200 members that are very interested in what happens in Austin. And uh, sure. so we, we appreciate the fact that you've been able to share some of your insights and thoughts about the next session. And please know that if we can assist you and your team, your staff in any way, uh, we're gonna be watching what happens in Austin, but if there's some resources that we can bring to bear to assist you as you do your very important work in the 87th session, uh, we really would uh, be happy to do that. So thank you again Absolutely. for your time. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Well, our pleasure completely. And hopefully we'll see you in person soon. Yep. And uh, thanks to everyone who was able to participate today. Thanks uh, for, for making the time. I think it was important for us to hear from the chairman regarding uh, what's going to happen with this next session. Again, he thank you to Bill Nunley and Martin for uh, sponsoring the Trek Talks this year. Uh, it's been really, really incredible. And we've had some great speakers this year. So uh, more, more to come in 2021 since this is our last program for this year. But um, have a great holiday, everyone. Stay well, stay safe, and thank you very much, Chairman.
That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank State Representative Giovanni Caprillione for participating in our final Track Talks event of the year, as well as our event sponsor, Belt Nunnally. Remember to subscribe to the show and follow Track on social media if you haven't already. We've put links to all of our handles in the show notes. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.